You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the J3 University podcast. I am your host, John Jewett. And I am your co-host, Luke Miller. Our mission is to elevate the physique coaching standard and deliver the highest level of competitors to the stage. Let's jump into today's episode. Top set, back off set, the secret to hypertrophy gains. Is it though, is it? Or is it just a wash? Is it worse for your gains? This holds near and dear to Luke and mine, my heart just because we kind of came from this background yeah. <laughs> that might be a, a little emotionally tied to, to strength progressions, but that's what we're going to dive in today. So we're going to cover um, just our backgrounds, the science and what it says, and then also just reeling that back into the real life application and how this stuff really pans out when you're, you're programming. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a big aspect of that just to kick it off is understanding hypertrophy as an adaptation is forgiving and that there is multiple ways to, stimulate hypertrophy and that the the multiple ways to skin a cat thought process is there we're just going to be in discussing why we like this type of setup and potentially how you could use it and where you could use it because there's definitely a psychological component to training when coaching someone that i think is so important to consider so i think you know starting from your side power lifter strength has always been a forefront when you kind of got into the resistance training side of barbell sports before you transitioned over, probably made that transition pretty easy, huh? Yeah, it did. I mean, th- there was uh yeah, yes and no, right? Because like I'm used to chasing strength and numbers. So mm. go, it, so it in, you end up kind of chasing the wrong things when you do move into bodybuilding and that, and we had spoken this on our first podcast on like heavyweight versus, you know, light loads, and with the idea that, hey, if you're strong, you should be in turn big within the hypertrophy rep ranges. And there's some validity around that. But I kind of took that and flew with it. So <laughs> the same powerlifter mentality, but just applied to higher rep ranges. And that, uh, that you know, in powerlifting, we would have like hypertrophy kind of blocks. And we would program them around kind of top set back offsets like this is where this stuff even came from if you look at a lot of the the applications in these different training approaches the undulating approaches where you have weeks of high reps then to low reps all a lot of this stuff came from the strength training world that used to be like the only research that was being done and you didn't have a lot of hypertrophy research and it was kind of extrapolated from the strength studies so when i was powerlifting i was doing per- primarily like Louis Simmons, like West side barbell, the, the conjugated method where you would have like within session and within weekly undulation of these variables and all that fancy word means is that you're doing different um, rep ranges with different applications. So like you'd have a max effort day where you do sets of three to five, then you'd have some higher rep work following that session. 
same type of idea, right? Varying the rep ranges within session. The next session for that movement would be a speed power based movement and then followed by could be hypertrophy work. So you're trying to get the the best of all three worlds of getting having speed, strength, and hypertrophy outcomes. And you can kind of shift these around as you needed powerlifting based on your, your season, right? So you might have more hypertrophy work come in or when you're peaking for a meet, you might build that more to strength-based low rep work and start pulling off the volume and hypertrophy work. So moving into... To, to power bodybuilding DC training. This was rest oh, pause yeah. sets, but they still, they had widow makers. So you do on some exercises, a top set, a heavy set, then you do a down set or back off set to a light load and just rep it out to failure. Right. And some of this approach was like, Hey, you, you don't always do rest pause. You just do two sets, two straight sets. Uh, but people got really dogmatic about it too. Like there was this like, strict framework that you had to work within. It had to be like two sets, one top, one back off. And uh, eventually you take that and you kind of start applying it to all your whole program. Um, so that's that was my background. So I did it in powerlifting. Makes it like a very favorable move into into a, power, a bodybuilding because I knew I could also like have strength gains with it. And there was a, probably a bit of a emotional connection around just training like that too. Yeah. I think, I think for me, like hindsight, obviously being 2020, the psychological component of the pressure of it is what I liked because you're walking in knowing that your top set needs to be this number and then your back off set needs to be this number of reps. And I think that's where just like with my history of, of golf and having to perform under pressure in the moment, I really thrive towards that mentality. And that's kind of where, you know, I see a lot of this succeed is with people who do really well with that psychological profile where people who it gives them too much anxiety to train, it could potentially be detrimental, which could then get into log booking and stuff. But I think that's where for me, psychologically, it, it had such a driving momentum factor because I knew when I walked into the gym, I had to be prepared to, First, get this mechanical tension stimulus with the with the top set, and then theoretically me- accumulate metabolites with the back off or the widowmaker or whatever that may be, right? And I felt that there were two different challenges that required acting in the moment and that pressure to perform that really just kind of drove me to a place where it I got the most out of myself. So, all of that to say. I think we're going to start to get into the the positive and the detriments of top set back off. I think one of the biggest potential positives and or detriments is the psychological profile of it because man, that's such a big component when coaching individuals and you can really help someone thrive or push them into the ground depending on where that person is going into that. Um, but I think that so kind of leads us pro pro and con. Pro and con. Yeah. I think it's, it can be either way depending on the person. Yeah. Yeah. You had that person like ourselves where we thrive in just having that, that blog book to beat and making happen at all costs, which can be bad because you end (laughs) up just the next session. You just, you train harder, you alter your form. um, You make some manipulation just to make a number move that does when, when it probably shouldn't be and you should just be having more reservation and nailing your form. And I think that's where 
it took me eventually. It was just like moving weight point A to point B yeah. and stimulus wasn't as accurate in like the, the exact target tissue that I needed. And then you, you shift form in a way too, that could be just more precarious for like injuries to occur. Mm-hmm. And that happened. That absolutely happened. It's, it's also like can be a benefit though. Like if you're, someone that's not pushing yourself enough kind of guarantees like, Hey, you need to make these numbers move. Like if you keep doing that, like it's going to, it will kind of work out, but yeah, it can be, it can be limiting. And that's where you get into the con of it with having potentially being like injurious in some areas, or we might have to get into like limiting, limiting your volume potentially. But with with the like emotional connection side, there are some people that just burn out from it, yeah, and absolutely. hate it. People that hate it, um, and uh, that's where someone you have to you have to shift to more of this, just maybe straight sets and not thinking because it is tied, right? I'm trying to like walk around this conversation because I have to mention like usually people promoting top set back offsets also are like proponents of extremely high efforts like as high effort as you can go before you're breaking down form yep and, and so those are co- tied connect together and that in turn limits volume right because you can only do so many sets at that high of effort level yep. so for those individuals like every set taken to that that level of effort mentally some people just can't hack it and that's not necessarily a dock on them because it just doesn't have to be the approach that they use. Mm. So pros and cons around, around the emotional side. Yeah. And I think, uh, depending on where you're at. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say like, go ahead about the, uh, how that limits could limit volume around the approach. Yeah. I think it, it, it can drive people to a place where they're not adapting very well and recovering very well, where, especially with that person that psychological profile doesn't fit, we could actually create a better stimulus, probably keeping them around one rep in reserve and doing overall more sets within a session and psychologically still having that logbook to beat performance wise, but not having them mentally take it to a place where they're just like thrashed. And another thing too, to consider is I always look at how frequent deloads need to occur with an athlete because it really tells me how quick I'm running them into the ground where for me, I think if you're running someone into it five or six weeks in, like, especially if it's the start of a program, you're already just barely getting past the skill acquisition point where you're just learning how to actually perform the movement for actual progressions and your progressions aren't just learning based, right? So for me, it's like, how long can I string this along with their recovery capacity compared to making sure I still maximize the hypertrophy benefit, which for most... I kind of find in that 12 to 18 week range, depending on the athlete and the compounds and the food, right? But I think there's something to be said about looking at it in the blood pressure medication dosage that you kind of propose as well when we talk about volume. is like more is not always better, but more can be better if it's needed in that if your blood pressure is 140 over 85 with 20 milligrams of Thomas Artane in, and you put it up to 40 and it brings it back down to 120 over 80, then you're at that perfect dose for adaptation. Do you need to go to 60? Probably not, right? You can keep it at 40 and, and progress or keep it managed. And that's kind of how I view hypertrophy from a volume metric perspective is 
this all exists on a spectrum of effort relative to volume. And the thing about top set back off, it is very far on one end of the spectrum. So it fits very few people where most people live a little bit closer in the middle. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Like, it, like it, right, it could, be, it could be on the spectrum, like far into the spectrum. Like for some people... It works. That, that, that volume level has been titrated to a certain point that fits within that range. Like the, the quality of sets is so high that you could do a lower volume approach and absolutely have be very stimulating. Agreed. But, but yeah, for a, a new, newer individual, even an intermediate, like doing an approach like that, it, it might like you said, limit the skill acquisition when they don't have the ability to execute their form and not have it break down as you get close to those failure points. So then if you're only limiting it to like, say a top and a back offset, you're now not accumulating enough of those stimulating reps across your sets to be in that like maximal adaptive range that you can really progress the, the most in. So it could be limiting in that position, but then as you progressed up, it very, very well could have its advantages as well. For mm. someone that is, that is more advanced, because the number of sets you're able to do, and the range of how stimulating those reps are, starts shrinking. So, to do like less volume, you almost you're almost forced into that because one extra set might throw you over the edge. Right, that's when you bump up the blood pressure med med to 100 milligram. You're like, this only works for a couple of weeks, then I run into all the drug side effects. Right, that's the side effects of like the the too high of volume. You're too fatigued. There's a, a toxicology component around it. So um, you have to work within that type range as you get more advanced. And also as you're more advanced, I do believe that you can't train farther away from failure because those that, that rep variance of how stimulating those reps gets tighter. So like for a new person, yeah, sure, like a 5RR maybe does make some growth happen, but it's not going to be for someone that's advanced. You're going to have to get closer to that failure component. When I that's when I am a proponent of making your, your sets like very high effort for the majority of them. And that's still where I lean into because just anecdotally, that's where I've continued to see progression, even at an advanced level. Um, and so for the advanced guy to take data from like earlier on beginners and try to apply that to himself, I don't think it does, does apply. Nope. So, so for the, for the beginner, yeah, you, you probably do need some more volume and it doesn't have to just be like, well, I would ask, why does it have to be the first set's a top set and the second set has to be such a large reduction? Mm. Why not do two top sets or why not the top set and two back off sets? Uh, the, it's very valid to like construct your training that way. And you have to kind of scope back even more about, well, is there an advantage to doing a lower rep set in a, in a higher rep set? And if you're working within the hypertrophy rep range and volume is equated, it very likely is, is not that advantageous, at least for hypertrophy outcomes. Now, Luke and I will get into like when this stuff actually has an advantage. It's beyond just looking at what grows, grows muscle. 
But if you're saying like, hey, my top set's eight reps and I'm then going to do a back off set, I do like 12 reps. Like that rep range variance is not that vast to where it's not going to really matter. So you could do a set of, you know, 10, then you same load, you hit eight, then you hit six and likely that would be totally fine. Or should you hit a set of six, back some weight off, hit a set of eight, back some weight off, hit a set of 10, which one would give you better growth? And based off all the research around it, volume equated, mm. it just wouldn't matter. Yeah, I think because you hear the argument for it being like maximizing the mechanical tension stimulus because you're doing the higher load set first, right? And that's kind of where the argument tends to come from. And then they're arguing extrapolate or the proponents of the top set back off, say extrapolating that over time could potentially lead to more progress, but that's not actually, if you're equating volume, probably what's going to happen. You're going to see very equal outcomes because hypertrophy is a forgiving adaptation. And I think that's where, and I want to circle back to the higher level athlete because that's where my brain's going. I think that this has so much more application in the individuals whose set quality is unbelievably high because they're probably generating stimulus that intermediates need two sets to, 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 to generate. And that's kind of where I see this fitting a lot. Now, do you see any benefit in the potential high mechanical tension stimulus into the higher metabolite stimulus and any valid uh, credibility in that? Or is that something you just like, if volume's equated, it's not going to be an issue. I, I see those two, two items, like variables, being kind of one and the same. Yeah, I agree. That's, so that's where my head goes because mechanical tension stimulus generates metabolites and then you just do that over a period of time and it's going to continue to do that. Yeah, because someone, someone says like, hey, yeah, my first set, it's higher load. So that means more mechanical tension in the yeah, target see, that's muscle. that's where I go. No, it, it does not necessarily. <laughs> oh, you like that? <laughs> like, be, because, you know, it's that what happens like between bone and bone, like those fibers, that tension, it, you could have that same level of tension at 12 reps versus eight reps, as long as you're training to that point, close proximity to failure. Mm. Um, now, even though the loads, loads heavier, you're also doing less reps. That's all that really changes. But those last few reps, you're still getting full muscles, fiber recruitment. They're having to contract at, at contract at slow velocities, but maximally, whether it's eight reps or it's six reps. So those things being the same, you could have the very well, the same uh, tension stimulus at that muscle. Now metabolites. Yeah. You're probably going to accumulate more metabolites at the higher rep ranges. So that would get into the, the, the question is like, do metabolites have some aspect around growth that that could occur? And it doesn't seem like there's a, a huge advantage there, but I also wouldn't completely write it off the table. So I think there should be some component in your training around it. So it's because otherwise we'd say like, well, then high rep ranges don't even matter, but they absolutely would have their application, especially from like a joint connective tissue uh, benefit because if you're training sets of like six to 10 all the time that usually can run you into having a deload just cause you're beat up, you know, and it's nice to have some work that is in the higher rep ranges and, and how you'd want to structure that. Gosh, there's a lots of different ways to do it. And that can usually be guided around 
the person's strength level and how they are responding uh, around training. I also do it around skill level. And I'll use an example to explain this. So someone who's a very proficient squatter, I'm very comfortable loading them in eight to 10 reps or a lower rep range, maybe even six if they're extremely proficient. Most of the time, probably not, but in that squat pattern. And then putting them in a leg press that's externally stabilized, they can shut their mind off and put the blinders up and go in like a 20 rep set because I'm allowing for that higher metabolite stimulus to be in the session, but in a position where they're less likely for things to go wrong. So I don't know about you. You're a better squatter than me. If I squat, I'm thinking the whole way down. Like it's not, there's, there's nothing at a point in that squat where I'm like not thinking. And so it actually helps me to do like eight or nine reps because from a loading perspective and the mental processing that it takes to do that, I get more out of it because I'm not under it quite as long. And then moving into a leg press where I feel extremely comfortable, I can just turn the blinders on and go and just fight the pain. And, and that's where I kind of see that. And then it just kind of the second reason I do that, which you stole my thunder is the joint perspective, like keeping someone training over a longer period of time. Yeah, it, it does get down to, I mean, rep range choice gets down to exercise Yeah, it, to do 20 reps on a squat. Oh man, <laughs> F, F my life, right? Like by the time, by the time you get to the end of those rep ranges, the ones that are going to be real stimulating, you're so gassed. You're like shaking around, like the accuracy of that tension in your target muscle is probably getting pretty low. Mm. And you're now the limiting factor is more cardiovascular versus muscular. So like that rep range just doesn't have great application for something like a squat or a, a RDL. Like it's brutally hard Yes, but it's harder doesn't mean more stimulating. So like those, some of those compound myths that cater really well to let the lower rep ranges, then your more brace patterns can cater really well to the high rep ranges. Like to do a, like a leg press, like a six rep, like, oh. man, the, 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 for one, just the workouts loading all the plates on the damn thing. Uh, <laughs> but, but then it's just, I don't know. It's, it just seems more injurious uh, for, for that type type of movement. So it just makes more sense to like move into the higher rep range to where you, you're doing the same idea as top back offsets, but just across lifts rather than across one lift. Yep. So you have lower rep work, and then you can move into some higher rep work from there. Now, that's actually the, uh, the Hackfield approach. This has been around for a while. There's actually a paper that we were like reading – yeah. <laughs> Looking at this. And uh, it was uh, the Hatfield system versus weekly undulating periodization. Yep. Uh, basically, it was a six-week study. They The Hatfield approach was within the session, you train for uh, speed, strength, and power. So you have like four to six reps, eight to 12 reps. That was like 12 to 15. Or they did block periodization. So one week was um, speed-focused, then strength-focused, then hypertrophy-focused. They did that across six weeks, and the, the, just the, the findings across that, that both led to increases in leg press strength and strength endurance, and there just wasn't a, a huge significance in difference, um, at least across that level of undulation. And if we just want to, like, you know, if we want to just lay out these studies that I have here, just so we yeah, know where, think. like, the, the, sci the science stuff is, there was a, a systematic review and meta-analysis of a bunch of papers Mm -hmm. And looking at hypertrophy outcomes 
versus linear periodization. So your standard like increase load across weeks, reps decrease versus undulating. So moving across higher loads to lighter loads, low, low, low reps, high reps, moving across like different orders, right? Could be within the week, could be within um, several weeks. And what they found across hypertrophy, like with volume equated, it just doesn't matter. That was the main thing is volume is the, the main predictor for hypertrophy outcomes. And to, to even look farther across, like I thought there was a, a pretty good paper looking closer at these load reductions. It was plan reduction versus fixed loads. Strategy to reduce the perception of effort with similar improvements in hypertrophy and strength. This was a 2018 paper. And they were looking at uh, a training program. This was across a few weeks where you'd have three sets. One group was doing the same weight for three failure sets. So reps were dropping across the other group did their three sets and were did 10% load reductions for those three sets. So set one, you drop 10% off the bar. Do you set two 10% off? Do you set three hypertrophy outcomes were exactly the same, but the subjects did report that dropping load set to set had a lower perception of effort. So potentially you could have a lower perception of fatigue with the same amount of volume. So there actually is a benefit around that. But just know, hypertrophy wasn't better with, within this. And so across like all the hypertrophy literature, when you look at this, if, if volume is equated, even for these variances in different rep patterns, it doesn't seem to make a difference for hypertrophy. Now, that's not to say it doesn't have application. This is not a tool to use. It's just not a training program is the thing. So yeah, I agree. We we'll dive into the actual application of this stuff. Yeah, I Cause think because I, I like it. It, it. it absolutely does have application. I use top sets and down sets my, myself all the time. Um, so I'm not anti. I'm just not dogmatic. And this is the only way you train because it's it's not it's just not a training approach. I've had people ask me like, "Do you do the top back offset program?" Like that's not a program. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think. I think there's instances in where it fits better and that's kind of where, and honestly, the interesting piece about the dog dogmatism around it is the longer I do this, it's actually the less frequent I find its utility. And I think it's because partly potentially a shift in the bodybuilding culture, but the psychological profile for it is becoming, in my opinion, a little bit less more rare where I just don't see people thriving under it quite as frequent, but also, the ability to drive the stimulus that allows for that volume load to maximally stimulate hypertrophy is such a high threshold that you've got to be working with someone who's got experience and ability to output at a strength perspective that's pretty high. And, and that's where my main limitation with it is, is like you have someone squatting 545 for 10 reps versus someone squatting 315 for 10 reps, that, that 545 is going to be almost a set and a half of that 315 in, in total stimulus. If you, if I'm doing my math in my head fairly accurately, but almost right. It's somewhere in that range of total workload. And so that's kind of where, when we start to use it, there's such a high level of strength base that has to be there for the low volume threshold to work. You know, one thing we didn't bring up to you around, around issues of this, and this is one issue that I got into with 
only doing if if it's a top set and back offset, then you have to get your next exercise. Is your your sessions can be very very long, mm. uh, especially once you are pretty strong. And I got like in my back session, I would do two sets, and like for certain exercises, I felt like I was just getting in the groove of things. Um, and there's like just a mild pump coming on, but then it's like, all right, time to move on. Like, well, shit, I still like could have pulled some more out of that. So I was like, that's when I've just done a, a second back offset. Now mm-hmm. I'm doing three three sets. But on a back, what I'd find is that I would start having to do like some other exercise that was a repeat pattern of what I just did. So it was like if it was a bent over dumbbell row to a chest supported T-bar row and your elbows are finishing relatively in the same position, it's like this is damn near the same exercise. <laughs> why don't I just do more sets of one of them? And so from a time efficiency standpoint, uh, I think it can be limiting. Very much so. And it can also eat up your exercise variety. So for the sake of variety, you have to pick some other movements and you're using the whole, the whole gym to do so. If some movement becomes stagnant or you can't do it for a working around an injury, you have nothing else to rotate to unless it's something real suboptimal. So those are some of the negatives around it too. So you can save some of those other exercises you have, shelf them for when one of them gets real stagnant, you need to rotate something in. You have that available to you to do, but also your workouts are dragging on for two hours long, three hours long, because they just have so many exercises in place. You can consolidate that volume into just a few less, less lifts. I also find that people overestimate their ability to learn the movement from a skill perspective. And that's where I tend to use that thought process you just had of not having a lot of variability in the session to really hone in on their ability to perform the pattern and get more out of them earlier on and get them closer to progressing the movement from actual strength progression as my measurement of mechanical tension stimulus within the volume set point. So that we're not spending eight weeks learning how to do this pattern. We're actually spending five to six because the frequency in which it's being performed is higher to the point that I'll even use the same pattern in two sessions. Like if it's an overhand T-ball row and they get a lot out of it and it's braced well and they execute it well, what says that can't be the overhand pattern in both back days or both pull days, right? That's kind of where I just see it so valuable to potentially get away from it to limit the exercise variability to give you exercises to choose when you need to rotate out to learn the movements quicker and to get them into progressing actual hypertrophy because they're not spent learning quite as long within the program design which is where i'm at the point now where the top set back off is a very rare concept I use outside of the specific application of very high skilled athletes. Yeah. I think we can probably wrap this all home to some direct takeaways, takeaways of how you actually implement this stuff. And I think the, the number one thing to remember here is, is volume is still your primary thing. That's going to be producing the hypertrophy outcome with all other variables being standardized, right? And so keep that in mind that there is no secret to how you arrange your rep ranges. Mm. Big picture, scoped out big. Now, we also don't want to leave anything on the table. 
So getting a little bit more scoped in, uh, in general, you'd still want the prime primary amount of your work usually within the six to 15 rep range. And I usually do be narrow. I usually go eight to 15 reps for probably 75% of the work that I do. And maybe a little bit goes 15 to 20. And I rarely even go below eight reps. There's just not much benefit beyond that. Maybe some dips to six, but again, it's, it's more of the maybe one compound movement that when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Accidental. Can, accidentally happens. <laughs> it, it does. It does. Um, gen, generally, how I, I structure the programming is the first compound movement of the day has a high skill component. Yeah. And it's usually in the, a lower rep range. Could be 6 to 10. Could be 8 to 12. From there, we move to a more brace pattern. And the rep range shifts up. That could be 10 to 14 reps. Then we'll have an isolation pattern that would go 12 to 15 or even 15 to 20. So across the session, we're having exposure to the variety of rep ranges in case there is some extra benefit to like moving into the higher rep ranges and getting more metabolite sequestration and pump and things like that. So, um, and, and that caters well to those lifts because compound lifts are high to do high reps with and isolation lifts are hard to do really, really low reps with. So I think across that session, it also brings about some variation in experience too. So it can be more entertaining in that, in that sense. Um, but within the lift too, there's also load adjustments that occur. So if your first compound movement, say we start in that six to 10 rep range, there's nothing wrong with starting with a set of six and then you could decrease load across the sets and work back up to doing 10 reps. And that basically is the idea around top set back off said, and that's kind of my preference in training. Cause I just have a, a preference also along with getting strong, but it's not to say that if you feel better doing a set of 10 first, then letting the reps drop and staying with the same load, that is completely fine as well. Cause I do have, so if you're someone that maybe is an older lifter or certain movements just feel more, you know, injurious to you start with the higher rep set and let the reps go down. Both can have application, now, there's the flip side of that too, right? What if you need to start with an isolation work, high rep, and then move to compound work? Certain people might have favor around that. Usually that's someone that's probably more older or has probably more risk of risk of injury. Yep. But it just goes to the point like there's there's a variety of ways to do this. So would you would you differ in how you would program that, Luke? I mean, as a generality of moving from lower rep to higher rep work from higher skill level to lesser skill level? Yeah, no, not really. Because I think, I think if you get an athlete where you have to take them to the point to pre-exhaust, if you will, the isolation movement before the compound, the top set back off application is so far away from what that person needs that it's not even a consideration in my, 
setup in that yeah. I tend to lean more towards across the session and essentially the lower the skill, the athlete and or the lower capacity to train because of injuries, the further away I get from it. Yeah. Agreed on that. Yeah. I think that's put simply, but you know, there's, there's multiple ways to do it. I think just finding that best balance of your skill level and your injury profile and your ability to maximize that stimulus is, is kind of where most people are going to thrive. Don't be afraid to push it either. Like sometimes you just got to figure out where that red line is and we've all been there and done that and you figure out it doesn't work and just kind of move on. Oh yeah. I'm on the very strong side that you need to find that earlier on. Yeah, very much of, so. Tinker. It, and and it's not going to it's not going to be a detriment. Like nope. you're when you're young, oh gosh, you're like indestructible, <laughs> I feel like compared to now, like you can just train just train really hard and it'll get you really far. But yeah, you know, it's like finding the balance. I feel like nowadays like we're we're coming to an age where there's so much more education around training that it's you're not seeing someone just sling weights around just without any thought in in mind. Uh, so yeah, there's the balance to it, um, yep. with, within all this, just like there's the, the balance to what we're talking about today in, in rep range variants. So yeah, anyway, great topic. Love talking about training. If y'all have questions on training, leave them down below and we'll talk to you next time.